This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Before I begin, I have to say, isn't it absolutely fabulous? This is a day that's all about God. You know, things that I was going through and thinking about this week, you know what, I, I, I'm sending brother at the back there. I realized that I'm the weakest link today. Uh, I realized that, uh, you know, the message and, and that type of thing, how well I present it or how well I preach it, uh, I, I'm the weakest link. But I was reminded this morning as well that this isn't a message about me. This isn't a day about me. This isn't a sermon about me. Uh, this, is a, this is a day about Jesus. This is a day about God. And it doesn't matter what we do, all the things that we go through, all the, the people that are up here involved, the people who greet at the door, uh, people in the sound, it doesn't really matter because it's not about us. It's all about him. That's not my message today, but I want to remind us that our coming together as the people of God, it's not about us as per se. Yes, God does something in us. Yes, God speaks to us. Yet God encourages us. But this is a day about Jesus. This is a day about God, where we come together to corporately worship him, thank him from the bottom of our hearts for what he has done and for what he means to us. Isn't that fabulous? You know, we can leave our egos aside we can leave our personalities aside, all our foibles and all the rest, and just focus on him and go, God, you are wonderful. Isn't that fabulous? Pastor, you missed a great week last week. That was my best sermon ever. <laughs> this week, not so much. <laughs> God's absolutely fabulous, isn't he? Isn't he wonderful? Uh, let's just pray. Lord God, in heaven, we glorify you and we praise you. We thank you that you are God. Lord, we lift your name up high. We thank you, Lord, for what you mean to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're our loving heavenly Father, O oh Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that it is your will, it is your good pleasure, Lord, to speak to your people, Lord. Dear God, I pray, Lord, that through stumbling lips, through stammering words, O oh God, that you'll be glorified, Lord, that in something that is said today, that you'll speak to our hearts, Lord, that you'll encourage us. Lord, that you'll give us something for the road, Lord. God, we just pray that you are lifted high and glorified. Amen and amen. You have your Bible with you this morning. If you can turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 18. John's Gospel, chapter 18. Although the passage that I'm going to speak about is one that we're familiar with, I'm maybe going to be bringing some things out of it that we maybe hadn't considered before. The wonderful thing about the Word of God is that there is so many facets to it. There's so many nuances, so many things that we can browse over and miss when we are so familiar with it at times, especially certain passages. So John chapter 18, and a few verses here, um, start at verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, uh, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. 
and Judas, who betrayed him, who also uh, stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those who you give, whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? It's a scene we're very familiar with. And we can easily get carried away. I know that I could easily... I just, I love the, the whole idea, the, the whole concept of what Jesus did on Calvary, the truth and the reality of it. I understand, I love this garden image where, where Jesus in his humanity uh, was knowing what was coming ahead, was bracing himself as it were. He was praying to God and, and I love the absolute, the whole setting here. But I'm going to look at it in a slightly different way. You can imagine the scene where they're standing around and all of a sudden they're confronted by these Roman soldiers. I mean, it doesn't say how many disciples were there. Was there, was there, full, was there 11 disciples and Jesus? Obviously, Judas arrived with the soldiers what, and then they're facing off against an unknown number of, of soldiers and, and whoever else. It's a fascinating scene. It's a standoff. There, there could be violence ahead. And Jesus, knowing what was ahead, knowing what the Father's plan was, knowing that he was the promised Messiah, knowing his position steps up and takes charge. Why have you come? He's the image of calmness. He's the image of peace. He's the image of control. He's the image of everything that we, we, we know Christ to be. He's that image of, I've, I'm, I'm assured of my steps. I'm confident. I know where this is going to lead. He's read the back of the book, as it were, and he knows what's coming. And seemingly out of nowhere, Peter pulls out his sword. Shock! Pulls out his sword, and he strikes at them. I know people have made fun of Peter and said, oh, he missed him, and he, he cut off an ear. You know what? I'll be honest. I, I can be ra- rash at times, and I've been very rash in the past. And you know what? I think fair play to the guy. Pulled out a sword. Pulled it, what was at hand? And he pulled it out, and he... he I had a go at him. You know what? I'll be honest. Maybe it's my advanced years. But, you know, if, if I was in a situation like that and there was a bunch of men and there was a sword and I was going, I could step in here. I would just lift the sword and waggle it a little bit. So let's scare them off. But you know what? He actually had a go. He didn't aim for a, a flesh wound. He was having a go to make a statement. He was looking to weaken the resolve of the soldiers, maybe to, to cause a diversion or, oh, now quick, Jesus, run. You know, maybe he was doing something like that, but he, he acted, he reacted very carnally, let's be honest, very carnally and out of the flesh. But the truth is, all that he did succeed in doing was break the solemnity of the moment, break the moment and interrupt it. This was the climax of his ministry, of Jesus' ministry. This was the moment that he was actually taking that step that there would be no going back from. This was the moment that his ministry up to this point had been 
the promise of God to show us the way to live, to show us the love of the Father, to show us his character. And here, he's about to start the final phase. I shouldn't say the final phase because he's in the final phase now. Glory to God. But he's starting the next step, the next phase. He's going to the cross. He's going to face his accusers and declared innocent and yet still crucified. And here, a sword in the hand of a fisherman interrupts everything. What actually I'm speaking to about today is about the promise from God. It's a strange place to start. The, the garden of Gethsemane, the promise of God. But I want to focus on the promise of God that Peter had, the promise of God that we have, because that's important to us. It's important that we cherish and we protect and we look after the promise of God, that we don't treat it as a light thing. Peter had a relationship with God and a, a remarkable experience with God. Remember him, you know, uh, um, a few moments before whenever he's confronted uh, by Jesus and he says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Well, I should say that's Matthew. But he says, even if I have to die, I'll, I'll, I'll not deny you. I'll, I'll go with you to the very end. And here we have to say, he, he's putting legs to his words. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. He's sincere. Here's Jesus, who is the promised Messiah, the promised deliverer of Israel. And he's like, I have accepted it. I know it. I believe it. I'm assured of it. And I'm willing to lay down my life. He was honest to a degree. He had spent years with Jesus, at least three years, a lifetime of, of going around with Jesus. Can you imagine the life that he had led up to this point? You know, it started off with his calling. He's tending the nets after a, a night of unsuccessful fishing and they're tending the net, nets. And next thing you know, the crowd seems to be following this man who he didn't even know at that point. He's following this man and, and they comes to his boat and this guy gets in the boat and he says, push out into the water. I want to preach from your boat. He's like, well, all right then. Go with the tide. He was a fisherman. Go with the flow. Let's just go along with it. And maybe as he sat in the boat, maybe continued to work on the nets, maybe not. He sat in the boat, Jesus taught. Then Jesus said, now push out into the water and cast down your nets. Pulls in a huge haul of fish and he's moved, he's affected, not just by what he had heard. No doubt about it that what he had just heard from Jesus teaching was remarkable because it, throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, it talks about Jesus speaking with authority and with power and no one speak like this man. So he heard him preaching the first time he'd ever encountered him. Could you imagine it? And then he gets to shore and he says, Jesus says, or Simon says to him, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus says to him, do not be afraid from now on, you will catch men. What a radical change in his life. 
He leaves all that he has and he goes off and follows Jesus. He spends years with him. What a conversion. What an experience. Jesus was totally unlike anyone he'd ever met. His teaching, the miracles that followed it. Can you imagine the words of Jesus filled every day? And I'm not saying that every day he was sitting there like my dad in the mornings, you know, who whenever he's staying over, he's sitting there probably studying. Well, he starts studying maybe about four o'clock, dozes off, wakes up, dozes off, wakes up. I come down for breakfast and my dad's like, would he hear what the Bible says? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this. And he's, it's, I tell you, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> Jesus wasn't like that. Yes, he had some, something to say. He had a message to bring. But imagine being in the presence of Jesus every single morning, waking to Jesus in the room. Imagine going around with him from place to place, hearing as he gave the Sermon on the Mount, hearing as he, the, the whole incident with Jairus' daughter. What about that miracle? What about those things that happened? Seeing all those, Peter would be moved. Peter was encouraged. Peter was strengthened in some ways as well. Even the incident in the boat, Matthew 14, where he says to him, comes to them in the, comes to them in the, in the night and the sea, and he says, get out of the boat, walk with me. He had a faith and a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus that really leaves many of ours. What about his confession? Where his, the people were turning away from Jesus and it says in John 6, it's an easy one to remember, unfortunately, but John 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Tell you, if ever there was a verse about, the, about people walking in flesh, walking away from Jesus in, in flesh, that was it. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He had recognized something. He had heard those words of eternal life. Verse 69 says, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the promised one. You are the one that was foretold, the, the son of David who would come and take the throne of his father. You're the Messiah long awaited. We've spent 400 years as a nation in silence, not hearing from God. And now you've arrived and I recognize that. That's what he's saying. You are the one who's to come. The silence is over. Finally, God has answered his people and he's come and visited us once again. So Peter had an experience and a faith in Christ. He had a relationship with him that was remarkable. We could go on and on talking about Peter. Pastor did it in a series that he did. But why in this situation did he show such a display of spiritual immaturity. It's a display of spiritual immaturity because actually Jesus had said to him and the disciples many times, I am going to go and get crucified. I am going to lay my life down. He had told him that this was going to happen and yet he didn't accept it. He didn't believe it. He didn't want to accept it. 
See, spiritual maturity is important as the people of God. Whenever we receive promises, how we handle the promise that God has given us. He has given us promises generally as his people. He has promised us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But at times in our lives, we can have situations where God will give us a particular promise for us. Peter's promise that I'm referring to is very much a general promise, the promised Messiah, the promised one to come. But for us, God has given us promises, things that we hold in our hearts. As Mary treasured it in her heart, all the things that the angel had said, we have things that God has said to us that we have treasured up. Maybe he has spoken to us about our families through the word. Maybe he's spoken to us about those who are, are, are far from God in our families, those whom we know and we love and who are maybe brought up in the church, who have walked away. Maybe God has given us a promise about our future, about those things that were coming ahead. Maybe he's given us a promise that he's gonna look after us. Everything's gonna be under control. The, the, the days ahead, the storm ahead won't wipe you out. I'll be with you. Maybe he's given us a promise about our health. Maybe he's spoken to us in terms of that. And I'm, again, I'm not necessarily speaking about a, an audible word. God can open his word and a verse can jump out of the page and speak to us. Sometimes in prayer, whenever we're praying, if we've been meditating on the word, God can get a word and he can apply it to our hearts. He can give us something to hold on to. I can remember, I was going through a thing a number of years ago. And I can remember a verse jumped out at me obscurely. I couldn't even tell you where it is right now. I'd have to Google it. About God being the, the repair of the breach and the builder up of the walls. And you know what? I looked that up and I had it written and I kept that. And I believed it. I, I didn't see any repairing of walls or breaches. I didn't see anything happen, but I had to hold on to that promise. I had to hold on to what, what God had said to me as I said, it was a verse that the Spirit had quickened to me and it's something that I could hold on to, something that I could be confident in, something that I could be assured of that God has spoken to me. And it's not just a word, a verse that just goes, oh, I like the wee rhyme of that. I like the meaning of that. Something that God plants deep in our hearts, deep in our spirit that we can hold on to. Peter had a promise. The whole of Israel had a promise. The Messiah was coming. He was going to deliver them. He was going to lift them up. But in all honesty, really, to this point, what had Paul, Peter gone through? What had he experienced? Was his faith his own? We would say sometimes. Yes, he had once seen Christ. Yes, he had heard Christ pre preaching, but he was an immature Christian. Really? What hardships had he gone through? He had seen Christ being criticized and lambasted. He'd seen Christ being people turning their back on him. Maybe the hardest thing he'd gone through up to this point was really, remember the time they were criticized for, for not fasting like John's disciples? But it really wasn't even a criticizing of, of, of the disciples. It was more a, a jibe at Jesus. He hadn't really had to hold on to something. He hadn't really had to struggle with something. So maturity and spiritual maturity is all about that. We can have all the knowledge, all the words, all the verses, but until we have owned 
our relationship with God, until we have owned the promises of God for our lives, until we have taken that and added it to what it is to be a Christian for us, really, is it just academic knowledge? They are the words of life, yes, but until we plant it deep, until we own it ourselves, they are just words. Look at all the people who Jesus spoke to and who preached to and who turned their back on him. But here for Peter, this was the promised king, the promised Messiah, promised deliverer. The first time he's got a wee bit of conflict, a bit of, uh, uh, people are coming to arrest him. Jesus has told me they're going to arrest him. I'm going to stop this. He didn't understand that this was all necessary. It was all part of the process. Remember the great confession, Matthew 16, it says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The first one to proclaim it, Jesus, uh, Jesus was the promise of God, the anointed of God, the chosen one, the Messiah, the deliverer, the redeemer, the savior and Lord. Can you imagine growing up with those stories and suddenly you're face to face with the embodiment of a promise? But his lack of spiritual maturity came shining through. His willingness to react carnally and in the arm of flesh was demonstrated. Yes, he wanted to defend Jesus, but his spiritual maturity and not understanding that this was all part of the process. How many times did Jesus you know, have to re-explain things? How many times do we look at the, script, the, the gospels now in light of the, the, the epistles and in light of what, the, what God has said and we go, it was necessary, it was important. From the life of Peter, we learn that our godly enthusiasm will not create spiritual maturity. How many times have we seen people who were so enthusiastic and yet chasing after everything that was going on around them? Your proximity to godly people will not give you spiritual maturity. Our proximity to exciting supernatural experiences will not give you spiritual maturity. Our excitement about worship will not give us spiritual maturity. It's only the things that we go through as the people of God, the challenges that we face to hold on to those things that God has said through his word, to hold on to those things, to defend them in our hearts, to hold on to them and be assured of them, to be confident in them. It's only when those are things come against us that we develop a little bit of stickability, a little bit of maturity, not to be swayed by fads, not to be swayed by emotions, not to be swayed by the, the oh, I'm exhausted, I couldn't be bothered. Not to be swayed by those things, to be mature enough as the people of God to go, you know what? I believe God could speak to me today. You know, I believe God could open a door today. I believe God could answer a prayer today. To have that confidence. Famously, in the scriptures, we can think back to Joseph and his immaturity. God gave him a promise, the visions and the dreams that he had. Oh, everyone will bow down. And what did he do? We all know he acted immature. He told everyone... <laughs> he ran about telling, yeah, you're all going to bow to me. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's such immaturity. 
What did he have to go through in order to gain a bit of maturity? He had to go to a wilderness of sorts. He had to go through some stuff. He had to experience some hardships. He had to go through things where he had to ask himself again and again, I'm sure over the years, did I really have a dream? Was it, was it, was it really from God? What was it really? That's what maturity is. Holding on, believing, you know, regardless of the, the opposition, regardless of those things that come against us. And for us as believers, the most precious thing we have is the word of God in our lives, the promise of God to us. Do you have a promise that God has given you? Has God promised to look after you? Has God promised to save your loved ones, your kids that are far away? Has God promised that he'll never leave you in the middle of a storm? Are you going through his time of confusion and distress and God has promised his peace? Regardless of what we go through, we have to hold on and believe because the overwhelming evidence is from the world, the flesh and the devil is that it was all a lie. It was all a, a pizza you had late at night. It was all something that you dreamt up. And unless we believe what God has told us, what God has promised us, we too will react carnally, we'll too re react out of the flesh. We might receive that promise, as I said, through the scriptures when we're reading it. We might receive that promise with the Holy Spirit that through whenever we're praying, he quickens it to us. Even during the day, he can do that. We can wake up with a song in our heart and we come to church, sometimes we can hear a message that God will just, Give us something, give us something to hold on to, something that we can build into our lives. I still believe in the power of God through his word. I still believe in God's promises. I still believe that God is a God who keeps his promises. We talked about it last week about God is different from us. He is God of all the earth. His promises are sure. His promises can resurrect the dead. There's dead things in our lives, those things that we might have given up on, those things that might have been pushed to the wayside. It can change our destiny, change our future, change those things that are coming ahead of us, how we perceive it, how we get through it. God's word to us, his promise to us, it can heal us. Maybe he's given us a, a, a seed of a promise. That's all it is, is a promise that we, we hold on to. And we have to hold on to it, regardless of what we see around us, regardless as Joseph seen the prison cell day after day, regardless of that. As I said, for Peter, Jesus was the promise. He was the Messiah, the promised King of Israel, the one who would liberate and deliver, the one who would exalt and restore and renew. This was his moment. This was his promise. He hadn't appreciated what it would do, what was, what was going to happen, what was going to experience. A spiritual maturity is knowing that the promise that God has given you, the promise is in his hands to fulfill. Peter thought he was going to help. He was going to fulfill. He was going to do all that was needed to be done. As I said at the beginning, we come here today to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate our relationship with him. 
in a promise that God has given us. The onus is on him. It's on us to hold on to it and to believe it, and to, but it's only on him to fulfill it. It's not on us to fulfill the promises of God. We have to trust that he is able to do what he has said. As I said last week, he is not a man that he should lie. He is still well able to do all that, that, that concerns us. There's people in this church today who have had promises from God they've had to hold on to. They've had to hold on to regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what they see every day, holding on to that, believing that God is still God, believing that he's still gonna do what he said he will do. That, you know what, that's wonderful. He's gonna do what he said he will do. Praise the Lord. But we have an enemy who will tempt us to reach for something we are naturally comfortable with in order to bring, he'll convince us, let's fulfill your promise from God. See, the enemy hates, the, uh, when I say the enemy, we're talking about the, the devil and our flesh and the world. They hate a promise from God. They absolutely hate it. From the very beginning, the, the enemy has gone out from the garden. He has gone out of his way to destroy the promises of God. Starting with the, uh, Adam and Eve and the, the promised seed to come, gone out of his way. Look at Jesus and his birth. Gone out of his way to destroy the promises of God. He wants to destroy any promises and any hope you have in the promise of God for your life. But God has promised you. The enemy will go out of his way to tempt you to, to do something in the arm of flesh. He'll go out of his way to convince you it's not worth it. He'll go out of his way to destroy it because he knows that if, if you hold on, if you hold on to the promise of God, those around you who are holding on to your promise of God will be encouraged and will be strengthened. When you hold on, you're encouraging those around you. And whenever you get the fulfillment of that promise, you'll also be encouraging those around you as well. And the enemy hates that. He hates it when the people of God, when the pe people of God are walking in faith and confidence in the reality that God's still God, that he still performs his promises. Simon, the fisherman, always bold, always confident. You'd have to be on a boat, I would say. Used, used to grappling with fishing nets, and rigging on the boat in the midst of storms, Simon, who would leap into action to save the boat or his crew or his catch, Simon grabs his sword and leaps into action. His immaturity is glaringly obvious. The enemy can tempt you to fulfill the promise that God has given you. It is a promise from God, just as the, the table we just keep gathered around there is a promise of God, is the covenant of God. It's up to God. This relationship with God has. We have our responsibility, yes, but it's all about him. We're well familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah and how they took it into their own hands to fulfill the promise of God. The enemy can tempt us in many ways to fulfill the promise ourselves or to doubt the promise or to question the promise, to give up on it and turn back. Turn over in your Bibles there to Matthew 26. Read another scripture. Matthew 26. This is another recount of the story that we've just read there. And, but it gives a wee bit of a slightly fuller picture. Matthew 26, 
and verse 36. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply dis- distressed. Then he said to them, My soul, uh, then he, yeah, then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, the enemy will give you opportunities, opportunities to respond in the flesh, opportunities to panic, opportunities to doubt, opportunities to lash out in fear and unbelief. And Jesus has found the disciples sleeping, not praying, sleeping. Remember in the model prayer or the Lord's prayer that, that again, pastor spoke on it a few weeks ago, Matthew 6, 13, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now temptation, we're very familiar with temptation in the sense of going out and, you know, (laughs) I don't say cheating on your wife or, or stealing or things like that there. And we think of those as temptations and they are, but temptations are also to doubt God. Temptation to doubt his word. Temptation to doubt what God has told us. And he's telling the disciples here in Matthew uh, uh, 6 and again in the garden, he's saying, pray lest you enter into temptation. He wasn't telling them to pray lest you enter into, you know, a a pub and you get drunk and you you destroy the place and you're, he wasn't praying that. Pray lest you enter temptation to act out of the flesh, act carnally. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, evil. Do we ever pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Help us, Lord. We're all humans. Let's, let's be honest. We're all humans. There's temptations out there. There's things that are going to come against us. Things that are going to try us. Do we ever pray, Lord, help me in my faith. Lord, help me to hold on. Lord, help me to be strong. Lord, help me to keep believing what you've told me. It's not, it's not a sin to pray, Lord, help me. It's not a sin. God, Jesus commands us to pray before the temptation arises. Pray before that moment of panic, the moment of distress, the moment of confusion, the moment of temptation of any sort arises. Jesus is even praying it here in the garden. He's saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine will. He knows rightly what's coming. He knows that his flesh is going to be beaten and bruised and pierced. He knows rightly that's going to happen to him. And he can imagine on some scale what way it's going to feel. He understands that this is going to be tough. If he hadn't seen the crucifixions, he'd certainly heard of them. I'm sure that he's, he'd witnessed the crosses on the, on the roads and whatever. I'm sure he was aware that this was going to be excruciating. 
And he knew that his flesh would cry out. In the garden, his flesh is crying out, oh, this is gonna be terrible. And yet, because he prayed before the moment, his flesh would have cried out to God and saying, Lord, send a host of angels to deliver me. His flesh would have failed. He could have acted carnally. He could have dropped the ball as it were, but he's asking God, help me with what's coming ahead. Help me, Lord, this is your will. This is important. This is, I need to do this. This is what we came here to do. This is the promise that will deliver so many people. This is the promise, not only for the nation, but for the whole world. Help me not to respond carnally. Help me not to be the one who, who calls out and says, Lo, send the angels. Oh, Lord, I've, got to, you know, I've got to defend myself. They're accusing me. I've got to stand up. I've got to say something. I've got to defend myself. But Lord, help me in the midst of this. Isn't that wonderful to know that he was human? Yes, he was God, but he had a human side. He felt things. He experienced them. Do we ever pray before we're confronted by temptation? Lord, help me to avoid those things that are ahead. Help me, Lord God, to, to stand strong. Help me, Lord God, to believe your promise regardless of what I'm seeing ahead of me. Help me, Lord God, in heaven to believe that you're gonna do everything that you said you're gonna do. Help me, dear God, even though I'm on my own, Lord, help me to believe that you're still with me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to be swayed or discouraged by everything. This is the real world we're living in. The promises of God are real to us. There's something we have to hold on to. We can't just write it in a journal, put the date on it and a smiley face and think that's gonna be enough. We can't just put it as our status on Facebook or Twitter or wherever else and think that's gonna be it. I'm standing on the promise because they put it on on one date. You have to do it day by day by day by day. Every day we have to. John Owen said, steadfastness in believing does not exclude all temptations from without. When we say a tree is firmly rooted, we do not say that the wind never blows upon it. Things happen. We need to root ourselves and hold on to the promises of God. Peter did not listen to Jesus at this point. He was gonna go through things. We all know what he went through. We all know how he turned his back, how he denied Jesus, how he said, I go a fishing. We all know what he was about to do. At this point, he didn't listen. He hadn't prayed with the temptation coming. Jesus even said, there's a temptation coming. And he didn't pray. The first time his, his uh, promise was challenged, what did he do? He lashed out carnally. So what should be our response when the promise of God is threatened in our lives? What, how should we respond? Romans 8, 38 says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am persuaded. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. For I am persuaded that he's still on the throne. For I am persuaded that he is still God over all the universe. For I am persuaded that his word is yea and amen, settled in heaven. Praise the Lord. For I am persuaded that he is just and that he is good. For I am persuaded that he is my God and my savior. For I am persuaded that he is the promised one of God. For I am persuaded that he is working out all the details in my life, regardless of what I see ahead of me. For I am persuaded that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or even think. For I am persuaded that his promises are good. For I am persuaded that he's a good God, that he's not a man that he should lie. For I am persuaded, persuaded is the key. For I am persuaded that God is God, that I can trust him regardless, regardless of what's going on. For I am persuaded. Are you persuaded that God's promises are good? Are you persuaded they're good? Are you persuaded that he's able to do what he said he would do? Well, yes, it's gonna be great. I've put a smiley face and a date on it. God is good. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded regardless of what I see around me. I'm persuaded of what I feel, regardless of what I feel. I'm persuaded about it regardless of what happens tomorrow or what happens today. I'm persuaded beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond anything that comes against me. I'm persuaded of this one fact that he is God, that he's still God, that he's still good and he's able to do all that he promised to do. I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded. It's gonna make the difference in your life if you're persuaded. It's gonna make a difference in your maturity as far as the things of God go, if you're persuaded. It's gonna make a world of a difference. I'm persuaded that he is able. Oh, we've gotta read that again. I don't think anyone's persuaded. Uh, Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I think that covers quite a lot of things. I think it covers a lot nor height, nor depth, just in case we missed a few things, nor any other created thing, oh, he's covered everything there, shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Glory to God. Are you persuaded? Are you persuaded? Not by me, by, by God, by who he is, by, by what he said, by God. Are you persuaded? God, we can have confidence in that. 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able. Praise the Lord. I'm persuaded. Oh, but I don't feel it. Oh, but I'm persuaded. You have to make the decision. You have to decide, is he worth believing or is he not? There is no gray area. Either we believe him, trust him, hold on to him, hold on to his promise. Boy, he's given, he's given us promises, precious promise, exceeding precious promises. Do we, do, we, do we look at them as precious? The promise itself is precious, but he who gave it to us makes it precious. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. So spiritual maturity when handling God's promises is important. Resisting the temptation of the enemy to doubt God's promises and act in the arm of flesh and standing firm on God's promises to us. Praise the Lord. This 
is important. I am persuaded. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.